1: Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. So many people are really unsettled. And in surveys of individual investors, people are really freaked out about the direction of the stock market money you have in 401ks, Roth IRAs, traditional investment accounts, I'm going to give you a stat to try to calm your fears. Also, you got so many digital accounts with Apple or Google, in addition to so many other things that we have digital accounts, email of various types and all that. What happens if we inconveniently pass away? What happens to all those things? What prep have you done to prepare for that day that, it comes, you know, it actually does show up. And how do you see that your loved ones have access to your digital identity? We're going to talk about that. So this is a session of Clarkonomics. Because at times like this, where there's a lot of nervousness out there, one of my brothers keeps calling me freaking out. Friend of mine keeps calling me freaking out. In fact, I talked to him last night about the world's coming to an end financially, and we're going to have just Armageddon coming. That's what my brother thinks financially. And uh, my friend is really worried that the stock market's going to crater, it's going to collapse. So can I answer either of those questions in the short term? No way, not any day. No one can say exactly what's going to happen with the investment market over a short period of time. Over a longer period of time though, you go back through history and people who just are like me, steady Eddie, putting money consistently well diversified into the stock market here and overseas, overseas is important, riding through good times and bad times, doing the most basic investing principle, which is dollar cost averaging, where you put money in, regardless of what's going on, rain, sunshine, snow, storms, whatever. I'm trying uh, using that as, what do you call that when you talk about something to explain something else? Is that called a simile? What's that called? A metaphor. A metaphor. Thank you. What's a simile? Uh, God, you're bringing
0: me back. A simile, I think it's something that sounds similar.
1: Oh, so a metaphor. A
0: metaphor is So I'm is talking a comparison. about the investments,
1: investment community going through stormy conditions, beautiful conditions, all that. And people tend to be all about investing when things are great. And then they run away and hide when things are bad. And so that means you're overpaying for what you get and you're missing opportunity when others are afraid. Now, let me give you an example. So let's say somebody took money, and this is from CNBC, they took money a year ago and put $1,000 into the most common index fund, which is the S&P 500, where you own the 500 largest publicly traded stocks in the U.S. So it's a good representation of stock market value U.S. stocks, although I prefer something known as the total stock market index, which includes a lot more companies, but That's a conversation for a different day. So I put in that $1,000. What do I have now? According to CNBC, I got $942. Now, who wants to put in $1,000 and put it at risk and have less money than you started with a year ago? None of us. But let's go back five years. You put $1,000 in five years ago with all the craziness that's happened, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, covid inflation, all that. $1,000 put in five years ago is now worth right at $1,700. $1,000 put in 10 years ago with the ups and downs of the marketplace over these last 10 years, a couple of recessions thrown in there, of course, COVID, the war, all that. $1,000 10 years ago is now worth $3,200 The key with investing is time in the market. Time in the market, not timing the market. Big difference in concept. I hear from people over and over again, I'm going to invest when it feels safe. What do you miss? Let's go back in the Wayback Machine. The market collapsed after the banking scandals that became known to us in 2007 And the market went down, 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 down it went. And the market bottomed out way before people's jobs recovered and all that. It bottomed out in uh, March or April 2009, depending on how you measure. U.S. economy really didn't truly, people in their own lives didn't really truly recover till 2015. But the market was at its bottom in spring of 2009. People who stayed in and kept going in the market 2009 till today have had a ridiculously great return. But that's a tiny percent of people because people got so freaked out they left the market and they missed the giant recovery that started in 2009. Remember why you're investing. You're not investing for today. You're not investing for tomorrow or even next year. You're investing, that's when you're putting your money at risk, is a long-term play. And that's why I love for people to put a little bit more than $500 a month every month into a Roth IRA if you can afford to do it. And you just keep doing it. And Roth IRA, you can even make it simpler. Put in a target retirement fund. Even better. Only have your Roth IRA at one of the low-cost companies. Never, 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 not ever, there's no exception to this, your money should never be in a Roth at a credit union. Your money, and I love credit unions, right? But not for your investments. Never, 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 not ever, should your Roth IRA or traditional IRA be at a bank. Ever, never! Should never be at an investment operation of a bank because the banks hose you with crazy high fees, massive commissions, and the people you're dealing with at the bank investment arm, they're not fiduciaries. They are doing what's best for them and the bank and not what's best for you. Do your Roth IRA with a discount brokerage or a commission-free mutual fund company. Period. You can do exchange-traded funds with a discount broker, pay no money buying them, pay no money selling them. I mean, it's just great because index funds or exchange-traded funds that mimic them as a different version of an index fund, they have virtually no expenses in them. The really low-cost target retirement funds for people who really are just overwhelmed or confused or bored by trying to figure out how to, how to allocate your money inside a retirement account, just go target retirement fund with a low-cost company, and they do the allocating for you based on your age and how far you are from retirement. But the big thing is this is one you build a habit with every day. Who's the most fit? The most physically fit? People who make a daily habit, an ongoing regular habit of exercise. On the other hand, people who are couch potatoes, the health problems accrue over time. Same thing with investing. Slow and steady wins the race. Diversified and you're doing it every single time period, whether it's quarterly, monthly, pay period, whatever. And that's the philosophy you and Michael live by Mm -hmm. with the exercise, because you do exercise, the two of you, like I've never seen.
0: No, we were okay, I'm just going to take it, sure.
1: It's true, it's true. I mean, you were a college athlete, and you've continued to be an athlete through your life. I work
0: out for my mental health more than anything, and physical.
1: Which is great, and you do it all the time. And you're the same way with money, just putting it Mm -hmm. in, stay as you go, since you were how old?
0: 21. I started my retirement accounts. I started my
1: first IRA when I was 19. Of
0: course you did. That's awesome. And my kids both had IRAs when they were 15, which I love. Also, I feel like an idiot. A simile is a comparison using like or as. My English teachers are probably just want to kill me right now.
1: I don't understand what that means.
0: So you're saying it's like you are like a summer's
1: day. Oh, so I was okay calling it.
0: And a metaphor this. is more like, like this is a storm. They're going through a storm, whatever. So I think what you were doing was a metaphor, but all you English teachers out there can correct me. Cause I feel like an idiot. We're going to start with Aaron. I didn't do that
1: well in English. You can tell okay.
0: <laughs> Aaron in New York says, hi Clark. I've been seeing a lot more articles like this lately where more retirement plans are offering annuities. What options are out there? If you want to create a pension type of investment for yourself. And he linked to an article.
1: Yeah, so this is going to become more common because federal law changed and permitted this. Here's the problem. People hit retirement age, and let's say they've been really good, diligent uh, savers slash investors over the years in a 401k at their place of work. People then reach the end of their work cycle, and they got this money, and it's overwhelming for so many people to figure out how it should be invested Post-retirement from an employer, and one of the big problems we have is people outlive their money. They uh, don't invest as well as they could, maybe, and they don't, and they spend too much of it in the early years of retirement. Later in retirement, they're broke. So this option that's available, and you're going to see more of it available, is where you in the retirement plan you have from your employer. You'll have an option often inside a target retirement fund like Fidelity now offers with their plans where you can annuitize your money at time of retirement, meaning you take it and you turn it into a lifetime stream of income for the rest of your life, a pension, or you can designate for yourself and your spouse, and then you get a smaller monthly check because it lasts for both of your lifetimes. Now, you hear me call annuities a cuss word, right? But this kind of annuity is one that salespeople aren't excited to sell you, and they're not part of this process anyway, because there's not really any room for commissions in these. And when you buy these through one of these employer plans, somebody may mess these up along the way. But in theory, there will be no extreme overhead at all. Your money will just Go to work for you turning it into the equivalent of a pension and this is a great strategy for someone who's not worried about kids inheriting money someday and you just want to make sure that you will have financial comfort in your life knowing you're going to get that check month after month as long as you might live.
0: Chris in California says in the pandemic era I was fortunate to keep working but my spouse was not. With one income, I opened several credit cards that at first I had control on payments. I began to miss payments with rapid succession and I fell behind. Now most of these cards have been written off into collections. I want to honor all my payments. How should I do so? Should I write letters to the creditors and offer payment plans? How can I ensure that if I pay any amounts that these creditors will not resell my debt? Thank you. I'm overwhelmed.
1: Chris, I'm really, really sorry about the circumstance you find yourself in, obviously you're going to dig yourself out It's clear as could be.
0: What's that? I just wanted to say you're not alone, Chris. Yeah.
1: And and Chris, you recognize the problem. You made no excuses for it and you want to solve it. And those are all the elements to you getting financially healthy again and getting right with these, with these credit card operators. You need an advocate involved for you. And that should be an affiliate of the National Foundation for Credit Counseling. They do this kind of stuff all the time. You go to nfcc.org and find a local one to you, Chris, in California. And they will be able to either come up with a payment plan with these creditors that have put you into charge-off status, or they'll negotiate for you what you have to pay to wipe out the debt. Uh, you are right about the problem with debts being sold again and again. That's why getting your arms around this now is really great. And I think you'll find the services, um, I mean, they've any human being, any organization varies in quality. But consistently, I hear such good feedback about people who go to affiliates of the National Foundation for Credit Counseling.
0: And from Rick in California, the information recently repeated, causing, I'm sure, untold numbers of users to panic and change how they charge their phones at public charging stations, trying to avoid being data juiced, is not true. Before passing on these types of stories, you might want to check with the experts. And they link to an article. For information on how this bad advice was spread, check before you jump and don't freak out over public charging stations that pose actually no or very low risks.
1: All right. I agree that I hype this too much like just about every media organization in the United States did based on an FBI alert recently about this. So technically criminals can steal information from your device when you plug it into a USB at a public charging spot like in an airport, hotel, things like that. What I should have said And what I failed to do when I talked about it on the podcast is this is a very rare crime. So yes, it can happen, but of the things for you to worry about in life, I should not have joined the herd and spread it. So the advice I gave I still feel is proper and accurate, and that is it is best in a public space to charge at an electrical outlet rather than a USB. And I do that. I travel with one that can hold multiple devices. It's my own little chargey thing. And I plug it into electricity and then I have four USBs in it. So I'm controlling the flow, if you will, of electricity to my devices. And it's just kind of like a little insurance policy for me. And Krista, there's also a device you can buy that some people like yeah. That protects your device. They're like $8, 10 12 Right.
0: We heard from a few people that they buy one of these little USB devices that's supposed to block your data and protect against juice jacking. So I just pulled up one, a two-pack on Amazon for eleven ninety nine. I know you don't want to hear about Amazon. No, that's, but no,
1: why would yeah. you not want to hear about Amazon? Um, so
0: I don't know. We haven't tested these, but we did have several Team Clark members reach out to tell us about that so as well. So there's a
1: lot of discussion, obviously. This one really hit a hot button with people. And I would say this is a technically possible crime, but it's been very rare. And so if you are like, I got enough else to deal with, I'm not going to worry about it. Or just do it really simply. Use one of the devices that protects your data. Six bucks An Amazon. Or use my thing where you only plug into electricity. I've got my little device with the four USBs in it. So the point is to be careful, and I really appreciate you sharing the passion of people on this topic. Wasn't it crazy how passionate people were? Um, So I want to talk about something else digital, and that's we have digital lives now. What happens to those digital lives when our actual real life goes away? We're going to talk about that. There are more and more stories that are so sad to me with grieving loved ones unable to retrieve mementos, very precious photos of family members, a loved one who's passed away, whatever. Because when that individual passes away, if nobody knows how to get into their digital life, those pictures die with them. And there are simple precautions we can take. And we update this every year. We updated our guide at Clark.com just three months ago to keep it as up-to-date as possible about how do you protect your digital being when you're no longer here with us so that your loved ones aren't left in a lurch. My wife and I have a procedure we've used for years to ensure that if one of the other of us passed away, the other has the accounts, usernames, the passwords to be able to get in to various accounts, financial and otherwise, so that the information doesn't end up behind a digital wall. The reality is companies have worked hard to keep people out of our stuff. And when somebody passes away, it's really hard to get through that. So the question I have for you, If you're in the Apple orbit, you're in the Google orbit, who has access? What would happen? What we have in our lives is poor Krista is the one who, under the Google system, is what's known as our inactive account manager. It's Google's cute way of saying, if Lane or I croak, and if we were to die at the same time, Krista's second in command. I didn't know that. I told you that. No, you didn't. (laughs) Yeah, so it's set up where if Lane dies and I'm still living, I'm her inactive account manager primary, if and vice versa. But if both of us were to die simultaneously in a wreck or something,
0: oh God forbid.
1: Yeah, you are the one who who receives access.
0: Okay. Well, I hope I never ever receive that access. I just want
1: to say that. Those of you who watched the uh, video version of the podcast, you saw Krista, and those of you listen to the audio version, I mean, you just hated this topic right away. Well, it freaked you out.
0: I just want to. I'm I'm weird about that stuff. I mean, I know we have to talk about these things. And it's very important, and I've laid out my own stuff too. I'm with you, but you know, let's just say it quick, and I don't want to no, think no, about that happening. No, no, I mean it's happening. a fact.
1: We, I mean it's we people put this kind of stuff off forever. And then forever turns out to be too late because then that stuff gets locked away. And, you know, Apple is really, really super focused on making that information not available to anyone. With Apple, you got to make sure, because in the Wall Street Journal story, they talk over and over again about how people, when somebody else doesn't have access to their Apple stuff, when somebody dies, Apple just will not cooperate. That stuff is not available. And you really got to think about what often in the industry is called emergency access. So how are you doing that for your financial accounts? How are you doing that for your digital life with Apple and or Google? I know it's an uncomfortable topic. It's a necessary topic to deal with. I have a sheet that lays out for Lane that I update once a year on my birthday. How ironic is that on my birthday? I update, you know, I look through the list and I see if anything, any usernames, passwords, any accounts that don't exist anymore are removed, any new accounts are added. And in the event of my demise, whenever that is, she has access and vice versa. And I hope that you and Mike have done this as well.
0: Um, no. We have yeah. a shared password manager account, um, and I have emailed to my father um, different ways to get into our accounts, too, just in case he ever needed to.
1: Okay, and you mentioned the next thing I was going to say, you anticipate everything in this brain, <laughs> don't you? Mine meld. Is a lot of people do this through the password managers. Use LastPass, mm-hmm. and there are a variety of these available, and then you've got access to it. One of them calls it their emergency kit. But this is something I know that is uncomfortable. Like when I talk about the ways to save on funerals and people freak out that I'm talking about it, like I'm talking about the weather, but these things happen. People do pass away and being prepared is so much better than ignoring it and dealing with trying to figure out how to do it deal with something on the fly. So uh, if death is uncomfortable for you, I apologize. We're all going to have this happen at some point. It's one of the things that are absolutely certain in life, right? Yep. Lane says there are two things you can't get out of. One is dying, and the other for a woman is if you're pregnant, that baby's coming. (laughs) You You can't stop it. That one became something big with her when she was pregnant with Steffi she started freaking out in labor, and she said, I, I don't want to do this. I, I don't want to do it. And <laughs> it was funny because I said, honey, you got no choice, and that has stuck with her since. So set up for and frequent flyer accounts. You know what airlines do? They own the miles. You call it your miles, your points, hotel chains, the same thing? No. Their terms of service, They their miles, their points. Make sure that in your will, believe it or not, in your will, you designate who gets your points with, if you're a frequent traveler, your hotel stay points, your airline points, your car rental points, your points for points, whatever. Make sure that that designation is done because otherwise those points fly away. I realize in the grieving of somebody gone, that seems kind of trivial to talk about, But I love travel so much that when I've gone to the great beyond, I want to know that my family is enjoying all those points I've accrued.
0: Okay, we'll go to questions now. This is from Donnie in Oregon. I recently requested a credit increase on one of my cards. And being the avid Clark listener that I am, my credit is, of course, frozen. I received a notice that a hard inquiry was attempted but denied because of the frozen credit. I then received a letter from card member services that said the freeze would need to be lifted in order for the inquiry to go through. My question is, is it worth a hard inquiry on my credit in order to get a higher credit limit, all in order to obtain a higher credit score?
1: Okay, so first of all, there's definitely an um, operational problem mm-hmm. at the bank that handles your credit card. Remember this, whoever you have your credit cards with, even if your credit's frozen, they have a right to see your credit your credit standing every single month. And they do. That's why now when you sign into your portal for various credit cards, you can see your up-to-the-minute credit score for free every month. Something started by Discover and pretty much everybody has done it because I remember the Discover CEO said, hey, we're checking everybody's credit score every month. Why not turn it into a benefit? And they made it available. It is lame for your visa issuer to require that you thaw your credit for a credit limit increase since they already know your score. It's a very anti-consumer policy by your financial institution. So is it worth it? Yes, it's worth it for you to temporarily thaw your credit for them to evaluate you for a credit limit increase because that hard inquiry Unless you're applying for a mortgage in the next six months, that hard inquiry affects your score so little. But the advantage of having the larger credit limit is a big boost over time for your credit score and standing.
0: Judy in Wyoming says, Is this Facebook settlement legitimate? And if it is, which payment method do you recommend? Personally, I think the prepaid card would be safest, but wondering about your perspective. It's the Facebook Meta privacy settlement. And I did fill this out for myself. I actually chose PayPal since they already have my email address anyway. Uh There are several options though.
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, the thing I don't like about the prepaid cards is that there's breakage on them, meaning that they always end up seems with a small amount of money you never get around to getting to because you try to use the card and it gets declined. We've had different suggestions from people about using one all for one larger purchase, emptying it out as a partial form of payment. Somebody was talking about how you can do that at Walmart and they use these prepaid cards that they get from retailers and settlements and all that at Walmart as a partial and they empty the card and then they go on. I mean, that's a perfectly acceptable way to do it. Or
0: amazon.com if you're an Amazon member.
1: Uh, The answer to every question is Amazon. Amazon. I know. This is a legitimate settlement because of Facebook was found to be violating people's privacy, uh, and so it is significant as a real thing. But is the amount of money received significant? How much did you get? No,
0: I haven't gotten anything. I just filled it out just to see what it was like. Okay. Um,
1: so we need to close be this. Small. <laughs> we need to close this loop when you actually get the money. Yeah, it won't be for a while. Okay, but when you do get the money, I'd love to hear what you're actually getting.
0: I will. I'm guessing it's definitely single digits, but we'll see. And this is you mean from in
1: pennies or you mean a dollar dollars.
0: I would guess a dollar or two, maybe let's hope bill in Georgia says Clark, my wife and I are looking to rent a house in West Palm beach this summer, but the rental company wants a $1,500 security deposit in cash, personal check or a wire. I've never had to do this before. And I don't like the idea of the personal check or wire. Should I be concerned and what would you recommend? Thanks for all you do. And by the way, check out my new Proton email address. I haven't received any spam yet. Cheers.
1: Okay, so let me deal with the last thing first. Proton Mail uh, that I talk about from time to time is a great email service because it's very private and you're not going to get really any spam at all till spammers figure out how to Invade your Proton Mail account. They are free, and they are very secure. Particularly if it's Proton Mail to Proton Mail, um, it remains almost like a footnote of email services, which is a shame because it's very good. So the risk to you, uh, this real estate company, this management company, you have no idea how ethical they are. You're from Georgia, there in Florida. If they abscond with your money or you have a dispute about the money, they have possession of it, you have no way to get it back. This is a risky venture you're entering into, and I don't advise it. I would rather you look at renting a place potentially on Airbnb and rent from one where you have a liberal refund policy. If it says strict refunds, it means you're never going to see any money back no matter what happens, pretty much. And then you're not going to be put in a vulnerable position of having laid out cash to who knows who, and you may not ever see that money ever again. So I'm with you to be nervous about that. I would not feel comfortable doing it, and I would not send them the $1,500 unless you like seeing your money potentially fly away. And I want to thank you, so much for listening or watching today's podcast. We love reading your reviews and the comments you post about our podcast. Have a great day.